Father, we echo Paul's words. To you be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And we ask that that would be the case in this time now. That you would be glorified in speaking to your people. That you would be glorified in changing the hearts of your people that we might receive your word. That you might be glorified in working in both parts of the conversation. We need to hear from heaven. Please speak, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I love the smell of rain right before it starts. Right? You know that smell where you can kind of, some of you actually have a sniffer and you can actually use those. You get that smell that's like right before it starts. You're like, oh, I know it's coming. Now, some of you have tricked knees and stuff. You know it's already coming before that. But for the rest of us, that's one of our kind of clues of like, oh, I know it's coming. Something's going to happen. Right? And if you were raised in this part of the country, sometimes, occasionally, just once in a blue moon, you would have that smell of rain Married with the sky turning, well, there's not really nothing but green, right? That greenish, grayish, hazy kind of color. And if you're from this part of the country, you know what that means, right? Right? It's going to be a bad storm. It's going to be nasty. Now, if it's cold, it means you get snow. But otherwise, it means it's going to be nasty, right? Which, for those of us that love storms, that means you go sit out on the front porch and enjoy the wind. And you know, if you're old enough to remember Hugo, that's what happened, right? You get the smell of rain, and then the sky turned olive-colored, and then fury followed. Verses 1 through 5 are the smell of rain and an olive-colored sky. They're almost pleasant. Fury follows. Right, the book of Galatians, out of all the scriptures, is probably the sternest and sharpest and most pointed of all of the Bible. I mean, it, you're hard-pressed to find portions of the scripture, much less a large entire book, that is so direct and sharp and harsh. In fact, actually, it's one of the things that you know, Bible scholars note that the introduction to the book of Galatians is like none of other Paul's writings because he's so mad at them. All of the other ones, he begins with, Paul, to you guys, I love you. We're going to celebrate all these good things that God is doing. We love each other. Let's give each other a hug. Okay, now I'm going to write what I need to write. This one, there's not even that. Right? This is the equivalent of that moment where you hear mom use your middle name. Right? That, that's, oh no. Right? I don't know what's happening next, but I know it's bad. And if you're a boy, you have no idea what you did, right? Then oh, I'm going to get in trouble for something I don't know what I did, right? Um, that's, in essence, the, the intro here to the book of Galatians. Paul has used their full name, and they're in trouble. Which would make sense, right? The early church is. Uh, not a surprise that they would struggle. The struggle here, though, the thing that is so interesting is what this storm is brewing over. Right? The book of Galatians is probably the first piece of Scripture written out of the entirety of the New Testament. You may not know that. It's probably the earliest of them all. 
It's written to a part of the church that we know where it is now. It's in Turkey and a part of the church that was converted fairly on. This is uh, fairly early on. He stopped there a number of times. And we even think that we have pretty good guesses to the year this is written. It's after 50, but like 53 or something like that. But the church, there's a storm brewing, and it's brewing kind of all across the early church, um, but it's taking kind of different forms, right? The young church, the early church, has begun to spread, and she spread very rapidly. Persecution tends to help with that, right? Uh, When the persecution hits, all the Christians flee, they run other places, they take their Christianity with them, and they fulfill the Great Commission that, you know, you make disciples wherever you go. It doesn't matter if you're on the moon, you make disciples, go run away and make disciples in the church spreads. And as it spreads, it spreads uh, in an interesting fashion. This church that originally began as a Jewish kind of uh, quirk, so to speak, is now spreading outside of Judaism. And so you're having these pagans that are converted. And pagans then looked a lot more like kind of Key West today, right? When you hear pagan, it was pagan, right? Not anything sort of kind of these nice, good, clean-cut folks. And the church is now trying to figure out with what do we do as we, one, grow, and two, what do we do as the culture changes? Because thus far, the church has had, for the most part, one specific kind of narrow culture. And now as it grows, the the culture gets more diverse. You're picking up people from uh, what will become Spain and uh, what will become, you know, all of the different parts of Greece and all the things that would then become, you know, Central Europe. And you're picking up people that are moving all the way out toward India and the church is expanding. and You're getting all kinds of different cultures, which would have been amazing considering the church cut its teeth in Judaism. And so they're beginning to have to answer this question. What are we going to be as we get more diverse? In fact, actually, it's a question very much like this church is having to ask or answer, isn't it? How are we going to continue to be the same as we continue to grow, right? We're going to do an officer training presentation here in about half an hour or so, hour or so uh, because a third of the people voting don't even know the process that they're going to use to vote. Right? We're going to try to preserve a culture uh, in the church that is important. Now, the, the early church is having to do this, and the problem is parts of it aren't doing it very well. Right? In Corinth, you have struggles because there's such nastiness happening uh, that you got problems, right? It's so gross that even the pagans are like, seriously, man, you can't be doing that. And much less the church shouldn't be doing that. Right? You have situations of people sleeping with their stepmothers and getting drunk at communion and all kinds of really bad stuff happening. And Paul gets angry. But not this angry. <laughs> Remember, that, that, that's secondary in terms of scary Paul. This is the height of full family name, Ogalatian church. You're in trouble. You're about to get the full heat and ire and anger of the Apostle Paul. And it's interesting what they struggle with. It's kind of not really morality in in the full sense of the word. It's not like they're doing heinous things where they're all killing people and things like that. It's actually their belief. They've lost a, a clear and technical definition of what the gospel is. They've begun to distort that good evangelistic message, the good news, the words of life that God has given. They've begun to take those and kind of merge them with culture. 
They've taken the Word of God and the promises of God and and begun to kind of merge it with the culture around. Now, interestingly, they're merging it with Jewish culture. They're not even merging it with Greek culture in this situation. They're merging it with Jewish culture, and Paul has like an apoplectic fit. Right? I mean, he's going to call them foolish Galatians. He's going to, I mean, it's it's going to get bad. I mean, look at just the next verse, verse 6. Just look at that. I mean, like, set the tone here. I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. If anybody ever said that to me, I might cry. That's his opening sentence after the greeting. Right? That's like after you open the email and you've got the header and it's like, uh, hi, welcome. Okay, and you, the first sentence you read is that. This is, this is angry. Because they've lost that which is most important. And here in this introduction, this greeting, he's, he's welcoming them and connecting with them before he starts the disciplinary process of correcting their theology. And we're going to note just a couple of principles from this early five verses. Now, these principles are in the text. They are important, uh, but they're going to be kind of important later in the book. I'm setting you up for months away, for six weeks away. But they are certainly appropriate for today. First point to see here is that the officers of the church are gifts from the Lord. The officers of the church are gifts from the Lord. Uh, And it's interesting, every time the church's doctrine begins to go wonky, uh, it, it really starts with the officers. Right, and, and you can actually, historians have looked at this in the current culture in which we live, you can watch your seminaries, and wherever your seminaries go, ten years later your pastors go, and wherever your pastors go, ten years later the churches go. Right, And we look at our mother denomination, and we lost our seminary in the 20s, we lost our pastors in the 30s and 40s, and we lost our church in the 60s and 70s. And in 73, the PCA is born. Right, The same type of idea is there is that the officers are God's gift for the church and they are extremely important, unbelievably important. And it's why every time that the church begins to struggle and difficulty begins to hit and the storm of sets in on top of the church, the devil knows and he goes after the officers. He knows, right? How many times I said this in officer training? I say it every time. I say this to young men who are getting ready to be ordained. The devil knows he hates officers. He hates them. It's the basic warfare. You want to pick off, you want to disable another army. All you really need to take care of are their communications and their officers. If you can knock out their communications and their officers, you'll win nine times out of ten. And it's going to happen here in the Galatian churches as the Galatian church begins to wrestle with this, I'm going to call it heresy, I'm comfortable with that term, but as they begin to wrestle with this bad theology, one of the the byproducts of that is that they're immediately going to turn on their pastor. They immediately turn on Paul. It's interesting, actually, if you read all of the letters in which he's having to rebuke the church for sin, interestingly, in every one of them, he has to defend his title. Because the second the church begins to go wrong, they stop trusting their pastor. I mean, think about it. Corinthians, that's how he starts. The first three chapters are him defending himself. A large part of this book is going to be him defending himself. Because they're they're missing this fact that their pastor is a gift from the Lord. All the officers of the church are a gift from the Lord. Look at what he says. Paul. All right. This is who I am, Paul. Everybody knows Paul. Okay, cool. An apostle. 
And I have to kind of back up and give you a, a special note there on what that is, right? The, the church has had throughout her New Testament church history three offices that are given to her. They have been given deacons, they're created in Acts chapter 6, pastors, which are really created back in Exodus, but have been carried all the way through, uh, and they're given apostles. And the apostles only show up in the early church. Uh, we find out from the book of Acts, they're defined as those that are with Jesus. They had to have seen Jesus from his baptism all the way up until his ascension. They had to have been with him all the way from the beginning. And they were given a special blessing from the Lord and special authority. The result of that is they were also given special abilities, right? special gifts. That's where you have your miraculous gifts, your healings, your raising from the dead. All of those things are accompanied with the office of apostle. Right? And it's why... Um, Paul, as an apostle in other places, does things that we're not comfortable with, right? He excommunicates a man via letter that he hasn't actually seen, seemingly even met yet, and hasn't been to the church in a year, right? If that happened here, we would not be okay with that, would we? We would have a little bit of a hissy fit, but he's an apostle, and he has a kind of a level of authority uh, that is a bit different. We have, uh, see, all kinds of gifts that are connected to this office. Now, this office has passed away, right? How many of us now have been with Jesus his entire ministry. Well, none of us, right? Okay, that's kind of the point. Uh, that, that era of the church is over. But Paul is an apostle, right? He's been trained by the Lord God. He met him on Damascus Road. He's interacted with the Lord Christ. He has his sign of authority, his approval, and he has been appointed to a task. This specific office in the church. Right? So understand, here's... Galatian church is going to get a spanking, verbally. They're, they're going to get a spanking. And it's interesting that he starts with, all right, who is Paul? And why is this going to happen? Why is this coming from Paul? Because I am your officer. Because I am one of the ones appointed by the Lord to minister to you. In fact, actually here, let's see what else he says in terms of that definition. An apostle, not from men... Meaning, it's not the appointment of men that matters, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Where is his authority coming from? Well, it's coming from the Lord God himself. And all the brothers ministering with him. He's laying out for them. All that's going to follow is coming from Paul, an apostle. And why is that so significant? Because apostles, officers of the church, are gifts to the Lord's church. All right, the, the divines, the Westminster divines, they saw this so clearly that when they're working through the Lord's prayer, and they say, all right, we're praying for thy kingdom come, thy will be done in this place as it is in heaven. One of the ways that they say that is fulfilled is through our officers. And it's kind of fun to think about that as we begin this officer election process, we're participating in the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. We're participating in the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. How? 
Right? How? I mean, that's the first, the first point here. The officers of the church are gifts from the Lord. And the next question, how are they gifts from the Lord? I mean, is it Paul a gift from the Lord here because he's about to verbally spank them? Like, how is that the case? And you see what actually what follows, right? To the churches of Galatia, and this is to like southern Turkey at this point. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, understand this is significant because he's about to um, blast them. I'm comfortable with that, right? He's about to tear into them quite badly for theological problem. I mean, he just calls them in the next verse here, verse 6, as turning to a different gospel. We would call that, you know, heresy. And yet, interestingly, he begins here by dealing with the Lord's blessing and the Lord's blessing coming to his people through his officers. They are conduits for God's blessing. Put it another way, as you remember, uh, if you were a kid, and apparently this is horridly unsafe and you should never do this, but as a kid drinking from the hose... Right? You know, it was so hot outside, you go run into the backyard after you've been running all over creation in your neighborhood. You thought you were going to die before you could make it to the hose. And you turned on the spigot of blessing. And did you drink the hose? No, you drank the water. But you had to have the hose in order to drink it. Right? That, that was the vehicle to get it from, um, you know, the, the, the faucet into your mouth. And it was awesome. Again, apparently they sell special hoses because that's tragically unsafe. I don't know. Uh, obviously, didn't hurt me, right? <laughs> Same thing, though, for our officers. Is our officers are not specifically the blessing themselves, but partially they are the conduit for God's blessing to his people. You see, what he's doing here in this beginning part is he's actually pronouncing a blessing upon them. Grace and peace, those are kind of imperatives, right? kind of subjunctive blessings placed upon God's people. May grace be upon you. May peace be upon you. Now, why is that different? It's because he actually has the authority to do something with this, right? It's the difference between if I say that to you and my children say that to me. My children come to me and say, may God bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and turn his countenance to you. And I'm like, that's wonderful. Thank you for reciting scripture. I'm so thankful. But it doesn't carry the same weight because they haven't been placed in that position to be part of the conduit of blessing to God's people. This conduit of blessing here in the sense of he's actually administering blessing to them, but then even continues further by being part of the blessing of the truth. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on, one, he's already beginning to explain Trinitarian doctrine quite sophisticatedly, but then in just a verse summarizes the work of the Lord Jesus excellently. This Jesus who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God the Father, to whom be glory forever. And he goes and explains the truth. Explains the gospel. Being part of that facilitating the truth of the gospel going out. And again, this is one of those things that we don't really like to talk about because, again, in America we love individuals, right? I'm my own king. I'm my own boss. Yeah, right? We're the land of entrepreneurs. We can do whatever we want. But yet, interestingly, it's wrong when we say it in the creed every time. 
You remember the Creed, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, where they say, I believe in the Catholic Church. You have the Holy Apostolic Church. Why do we ever say the Catholic or the Apostolic Church? You ever think about that? And the answer is ultimately, in some sense, because the truth of the gospel was entrusted not to the church. It was entrusted to the apostles, who then passed it to the elders and have continued to pass it down. Actually, you may not know this in our ugly blue book, who's responsible for the Great Commission? The General Assembly of the PCA is responsible for the Great Commission. You're not. Now, should that ever diminish your uh, evangelism? No. Does that absolve you from evangelizing your neighbors and your family? No. It is rather to say, where is the proper authority? Well, it's the PCA, and it's the General Assembly. It's that God has given his officers as a blessing to the church, and as part of that, he's entrusted blessings to those leadership bodies that are then administered to the people. Right? It makes sense. When it comes time to fight federal vision, do we fight it at the lowest common level or do we have you know, some grand scheme against it at the assembly? And in theory, it's in our book of order that it should be happening, errors of doctrine at the denominational level. The officers of the church have been charged with carrying the words of life to you. Now, it's interesting, again, that here he is at his grumpiest. He's mad, right? He, you would see steam coming out of his ears. He'd have that vein that twitches on the front of his head. You know, He's really angry. And the foundation for his argument here is ultimately God's authority and how good it is for them to listen. Now, I'm, there's your points. I'm going to do a couple of quick applications on this, though, just so that we're clear what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. Uh, One, there is a proper balance between listening and ignoring the leadership of the church. And we see this, again, all throughout Paul's writings. He tears into the church for not listening to biblical officers. And he tears into the church for listening to non-biblical officers. Right? He, he blasts them on both accounts for following false, false teachers and not following good teachers. Absolutely. And, and this is the hard part on it is that we as creatures of extremes love to swing to one side or the other. We love to, because it's easy, honestly, it's easy to throw ourselves to one extreme. We love to either go to the extreme where we idolize our leaders and trust everything they say. I mean, I grew up that way with many of the theologians I followed, right? I mean, there's a point in my life where John Piper was that guy. Everything he said and did was right. It's not. Or to go to the other extreme where we totally don't ignore them altogether, right? Where an officer in the church is no different than a man in the church who works hard. And that's just categorically false, Right? We want to end up somewhere in that middle sweet spot where we recognize that officers have been given the authority of God. Right? That's actually what ordination is. When we ordain them, we're taking God's name and placing it upon them to say they have been commissioned for a task. They've been chosen by the Lord, not by men, but chosen by the Lord. Now get out of their way and let them do their jobs. That's what ordination means. That's why it's only for men. 
It's always a stamp of authority. Get out of the way, let them do their job. But at the same time, recognizing these are not perfect people. And so don't follow blindly. Don't just go, oh, well, they're, they're an elder. I got to do what they say. No. They're an elder. I need to hold them accountable to the word of God. Right? And I say this as the guy who is the easiest to do that with, right? I'm the one that's the easiest to turn your brain off and listen to everything that I say because I'm the preacher and I say the most. Don't do that. Hold me accountable to this book. Take every word that I say and run it through the filter of the scriptures. Likewise, do not treat me like a normal human man that's common and everybody else. Because I have a task placed upon me that no one else in here has been given. And I'm going to demonstrate in about nine and a half minutes when I stand behind this and represent the Lord Jesus to the people of God. Don't go to either extreme. Now, again, I'm the easiest to do this with because I'm the only one and I'm the God front that you see the most. And it's no different with our ruling elders and it's no different with our deacons. Deacons bear the Lord's name to be his blessing to the church. We don't follow them blindly. We don't over-elevate them. We hit that sweet spot of seeing them as God's blessing and holding them accountable. Well, why? And I'll end with this one kind of closing point. Because when this is done correctly, when this is done correctly, and I'm not saying it's easy, but when it is, all of the glory will go to verse 5. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And this is actually unique in all of Paul's writings. He never puts a doxology in the middle of a greeting. He doesn't do this. And it's interesting that here as he begins to ponder specifically his apostolic authority and then the nature of the gospel, he for the only time in scripture actually turns to a doxology to say, all glory goes to God. Doesn't go to the officer, doesn't go to Paul. It doesn't go to the church. It doesn't go to the book, the Bible. It doesn't go to the theology. It doesn't go to the denomination. All of it will go to God. You see, this is the problem is that when we get that spectrum out of balance, we steal glory from the king. If you hold me too highly, you steal Jesus' glory and you try to give it to me. And I don't want it. And I can't use it. I'm not a good man like that. Likewise, if you don't value your ruling elders, deacons, teaching elder, you're also stealing the glory of the Lord and trying to take it for yourself. And that's not okay either. Because again, at the end of the day, all glory be to the king. Our Savior, the one who has delivered us from our sins in this present evil age by stepping into time and space and being righteous on our behalf and dying on our behalf. He gets the glory. Not you, not me. Now that being said, I would make just two quick, well, one quick application on both sides here. We're about to start the officer nomination process. 
And uh, I would ask that you pray. And you pray a lot. Because, one, again, the devil knows. He knows that it's easiest to get an army off track if you can kill her officers. I watched another teaching elder fall this week. One of my dear, dear friends. Pray for your officers because the devil will come after them. And secondly, pray for yourself that you see them correctly. That you don't go to the, the you know, demigod side and you begin to worship them as celebrity status because no officer deserves that. We aren't celebrities. We're officers in the Lord's church. But at the same time that you wouldn't go to the other extreme and ignore them. Pray for yourself. Pray the Lord gives you the mind to think about your men. They belong to you. You've elected them to think of them clearly. Why? So that together, His glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank you for your truth. Thank you that we get to focus on King Jesus. Thank you for the blessings that you have poured out upon your church and your officers. Thank you for your truth. Lord, we do pray for the men who are already serving as officers and ask that you would protect them. Protect them from the evil one. He hates them. We pray for the men who will be nominated in two weeks. Start training. And ask that you would watch over them. Guard them and keep them from the world, the flesh, and the devil. We know that all three enemies hate them and will seek their undoing. And Lord, we pray for ourselves. We want to be right thinkers. Where we respect our officers and listen to them and give them special weight and special honor, but not inappropriately. We already have one Savior. We already have one King. We already have one Messiah. We don't need others. King Jesus is great enough. We don't need little ones to try to usurp him. Even in our own minds, keep us safe, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.